Welcome into episode 33 of the Gunfronters podcast. Chase Thornton and Lester Mitchell here with you today. Um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, no guests this week. Just me and Lester gonna gonna take it home. Um, starting off, you know, Alabama takes a series over Auburn, uh, two out of three in baseball on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. Owen Diodati with a walk off um, double on uh, on Thursday night, and then. Auburn winning a one-run game on Friday, and then Alabama coming back on Saturday. And Jim Jarvis, um, you know, a real back-and-forth game. Auburn just seemed to keep hitting the ball over the fence, and Alabama would hit it over the fence. And Jim Jarvis eventually with the uh, the walk-off double off the wall down there. Um, so, Lester, let's just talk about that, man. How, how nice is it to uh, – I guess you can say to finish the year, the sports year, you know, starting with football, you know, starting in the fall and um, – Alabama beats Auburn 42 to 13. They sweep them in, men, in men's basketball, beat them by four on the road, then came back and beat them by, by 12 in Coleman Coliseum. And then, you know, baseball takes the series two out of three. So uh, just talk about how nice it was to, to finish, finish the year against Auburn, so to speak, and just dominating them all year round in every sport. Yes, yes. Um, lots of positives within the last sports year, but capping cap it off with, a 2-1 series win over Auburn is great. You know, football dominated, basketball, you know, dominated for the most part. But for baseball to rip their hearts out, you know, kick a program while they're down because Auburn's not good right now. You know Auburn. They love to play spoiler. You know some of those guys come in thinking maybe they can get a sweep. Maybe they can win the series at least. And that just didn't happen. And that, that, that just a chef's kiss, a perfect way to end that. Yeah, no doubt, and uh, and and you know we all know how Auburn treats Alabama. Um, Alabama is such a big national brand and a, one of the bigger SEC brands in all sports, for that matter. You know they're they're second in the SEC in wins, only behind Blue Blood Kentucky. Um, you know baseball, they're a top three program historically um, in the SEC. Then of course everybody knows about what the football team has done uh, traditionally. And, and so, you know, Auburn, they're called Little Brother for a reason. And we were talking about this, Lester, is, is that, you know, it's just they're, they're this little brother that all they want is your approval. All they want is your satisfaction. They're going to bug you and bug you and bug you until, you know, you either go off on them or they, you know, and, when, and whenever they beat you at something, whether it's a backyard basketball game or a golf match, wee bowling, whatever it is, you know, they're going to let you know about it and they're not going to stop. And so and whenever you beat them, you're like, you know, haha, this is, you know, it's Auburn. Alabama's focused on bigger and better things, but Auburn with that little brother syndrome that they've always had. And I mean, and you can try to argue it. If you're an Auburn fan out there and you're listening to this, you can try to argue it all you want. But, you know, the fact remains that they're, they're only happy whenever they beat Alabama. I mean, you know, 2013, the year they lost the national championship, if you ask them, you know, they won their national championship in November on the kick six. I mean, in 2017, they were also national champions because they beat Alabama 26 to 14 or whatever it was. So, of course, you know, a good, you know, a good, a good point to this is, is in basketball season. Sharif Cooper can't get eligible, eligible in NCAA. I told people in November – I said, I promise you, on God, Sharif Cooper will play against Alabama. 
And at that time I said both games, I didn't know that he was going to be hurt or whatever the case was at, in, in the second game. But I said, Sharif Cooper will be playing against Alabama. There's no way in hell Bruce Pearl will not play him against Alabama because he knows that game decide, determines his fate. Every coach at Auburn knows that. Gus Malzahn was only there eight years because he beat Nick Saban. That's it. Tommy Tuberville was only at Auburn for as long as he was because he beat Nick Saban. And so I, I told people, you know, for months and months, you know, whenever, whenever news came out that Sharif was going to be ineligible to start the season, I said, I promise you, he will play against Alabama. And, you know, they activate him at like 10 o'clock the Friday before Alabama goes over to the jungle. And uh, he, he played well. He, he kicked our ass. But uh, Alabama was able to come come out on top on the scoreboard. But, yeah, you know, that's just what, what, what Auburn is. They're just – they're the little brother. And it was really nice to have a sports year where you just – you dominate them in all, in all major sports. Because, you know, usually Alabama does get them in football. But Alabama's basketball program has been – slacking the last couple of years until this year and uh, you know the baseball team as well um but Lester how sweet was it that Brad Bohannon is a coach at Auburn a few years ago he recruits Luke Jarvis to Auburn who played two years and then went pro I believe very very good uh, I think I believe it was a middle infielder very good player he was out of San Diego California Brad Bohannon goes and finds this guy brings them to Auburn. They have good success. He has good success. He goes on to the next level. And then Alabama hires Brad Bohannon. What does Bohannon do? Luke Jarvis has a younger brother, Jim Jarvis, that's coming up out of San Diego, California. He gets him to commit to Alabama. And then lo and behold, Jim Jarvis ends up hitting the walk-off to win the series against Auburn. How sweet was that moment on Saturday? You know, you know, that was hell sweet, man. Hell sweet. With all the history between the two programs, with Bohannon to come from Auburn, with his brother playing for Auburn, and then little bro comes in with the heartbreaker. <laughs> that's awesome. That's that's a hell of a movie, a hell of a story, and it couldn't have happened to a better program. Yes, yeah, it's, it's Lou Jarvis's little brother beating Alabama's little brother so to speak, but uh, yeah, yeah, um, Alabama, Alabama baseball playing well right now, they, uh, um, they take three, they sweep the series on the road against Texas A&M, and they come back to, to the Joe and take two out of three from Auburn, so they've won five out of their six, uh, five out of their last six SEC games, and, um, and so they're, they're looking forward to, to continuing that hot streak, so to speak, this weekend, um, definitely not easy. The SEC is loaded. We've talked about that before. But um, Lester, I, you know, my, my, my projected win total, Alabama's seven and eight right now in SEC play. Um, you play 10 SEC series, so you play 30 games. My prediction, or I, I figured Alabama would be around 12 wins. Um, you know, so whatever that is, 12 and ninth or 12 and 18. Um, that's what I figured their record would be. What kind of expectation? did you have for Alabama preseason coming into, or not preseason, but coming into SEC play? How, how many games did you predict them to win? I I wanted them to be at least 500. Now, that's before we knew that Prelip was going to be out with injuries. I mean, and he's – I mean, we still don't know how he's going to pitch going forward and a couple other things going on with Alabama. But I wanted 500. 500, this is what, Bohannon's second year, if I'm not – second or third year? 500. We know the SEC is loaded, 
but don't be a bottom feeder. Don't don't be a below average team. Continue to show progress and continue to get better year after year. It's coming. It's so hard to win at Alabama with the scholarship restrictions and and a lot of things are working against them. But improve. That's my thing. Improve. You get in the classes. You get in the top twenty-five recruiting classes you're getting better and you know of course SC's you know stupid loaded but I wanted them to be 500 and they're on pace for that if they finished with you know 13 14 wins I wouldn't be upset at all yes it's crazy how stat this SEC conference is this this year in baseball I know we talked about it a couple months ago before the season about how they had like like 10 or 12 top 25 teams or something like that was just brutal I mean Alabama was preseason top 25 and projected like last in the SEC West. It was something crazy. So really, I mean, every win that Alabama gets is technically an upset since they were, you know, or in their division uh, since they were projected last in the West. But uh, yeah, I would say they're a little bit ahead of, but you know, you make a good point about Prelip because I think Alabama lost by one run um, to Arkansas and Ole Miss on Friday night and uh, in, in their series early on in the, in, in conference play. And so, you know, you're able to throw a guy like Prelip, who's who's not one of the best pitchers in the conference. He's one of the best in the nation. He's probably a top 10 pitcher in the nation, um, even though, you know, probably four, four or five of those top 10 are in the conference. But uh, but yeah, you know, definitely somebody that can that can shut a good lineup down because he's so good from the left side. And so you never know. I mean, they get those two games and you're you're sitting here at, you know, whatever, nine and six or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, hopefully Alabama can, can t- continue to play well and use these last two weekends as a springboard to uh, to play to play well the rest of the way and get to maybe squeak into a regional. But um, Lester, moving into the A Day game, Alabama hosted a spring game. Uh, white team with the Crimson team, thirteen to ten. Bryce Young doing what everybody thought he would do. You know, he threw for two hundred and fifty yards in the first half. Ended up with over three hundred. Um, just let's just start with him. All eyes were on him. He's replacing Matt Jones. A lot of people um, thought that he had a chance to unseat Matt Jones from the starting role last year. Um, not having a spring hurt him, but I don't. I don't think he would have. He would have surpassed Mac uh, on the depth chart anyway, but because everybody saw what Mac did. But you know, it's it's obvious why people thought that because this kid showed. Really good arm talent, a really quick release. God, one of the fastest releases I've ever seen. And, you know, there's some people that have quick releases, but they're just not accurate with the ball. Whenever you're both, that's very special. And he was very quick getting the ball out, but it was also on the numbers, um, especially on the RPO. He threw that pass really well. So tell me what you what you saw out of Bryce Young, and um, tell me what, you can, what we can expect from him this season. Arm talent, quickness, speed, accuracy, getting the ball out, mobility in the pocket. I was so excited to see that guy. Um, and he, he without a doubt, he, he impressed. He impressed. I'm really, really excited to see how, you know, that balance between you know, run pass is going to be. You know, you can't, you can't stick with one. You can't try to shut down the run game. You can't, you know put eight in the secondary, you can't drop six, seven every play. He's going to tear people apart. He he is – he's – and when it breaks down, the guy can move. 
he can scrum. Now, you don't want that. I mean, he's not a big guy by any means. But the guy can escape. He has, he's elusive. And the guy has a rocket arm. He's accurate. I mean, and he didn't even have his uh, – you can probably help me out with this, but he didn't even have his O-line over missing, what, two or three guys who would normally start? I mean, there it is. Like, he he's just – he's very impressive. I was very glad with what I saw. I'm looking to see how he does in the spring with a full, you know, full healthy team, you know, especially going against uh, some of the better teams in the SEC. That's right. And I think the, you know, it, it, he impressed, but what is obvious, like you were just talking about, what's also more impressive than him impressing is the fact that he did this without John Mechie, without Brian Robinson, without Emil Ikior, who are not three starters. They're three damn good starters. I mean, they're, they're, some of the tops in their positions in the conference. I mean, John Mechie is a top three or four receiver in, in conference, if not higher. Um, you know, Brian Robinson's one of the best running backs in the SEC, and Maliki Orr is going to be potentially a first-round guard pick next year. Um, and so, yeah, you know, the fact that he did what he did and, uh, and was able to move the ball around like that, not the highest completion percentage. I think he only finished about 58 59%. But, um, you know, they're – it's, it's going to be uh, – and, yeah, of course, you know, the best receiver on the field was playing with Paul Tyson, Ajayi Hall um, from from Florida, and that joker right there. Lester, let's move on to him. Talk about what he displayed. I mean, I think he caught like 70, 75 yards, something like that. But, yeah, he had one, one crazy catch that he made that Tyson threw it about eight yards out of bounds. But uh, he still went over and, and caught it, and it's kind of acrobatic. And, you know, of course, they had the illegal formation – that negated about another 30-yard catch um, that just showed great hands and body control. Tell me what you saw at a number 17, Ajayi Hall, what, can, what we can expect from him and how he can contribute to this, this group of young receivers. He, he, that guy, number 17, he is the next one. I'm calling it now. I think that guy is the next one. I think he makes an From impact. acrobatics – yeah, do you think from speed this year over like over Slade and and Mechie? or do you think all the the focus in the passing game goes to those two? Because Slade caught a lot of balls too. He just yeah yeah can't do, can't do anything with it after the catch because he's pacey as hell. But uh, I mean, but Slade Slade's different. I mean, yeah. you know, Hall, you just expect him to be your outside guy, right? I mean, I, I can see a Mechie Slade in the slot, then Hall on the out, on the other outside. So. I think all three of those guys play on the field at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. That guy, I'm looking for a Hall to make an impact. I actually thought that he may have snuck in there. You know, if he, you know, if Tyson won his freaking quarterback, he probably would have won MVP honors over Bryce, if we're being honest. Yeah, for real. And, and you know, it's, it's, uh, and, and like I said, you know, Tyson throwing the ball out of bounds, then a, a penalty negated another big play. He could have had, you know, 140, 150 yards. But um, I, I honestly think this year what you're going to see a lot is, and I, you know, there was more rumors about this coming out of the uh, the scrimmage two weekends ago rather than the eight day game, um, <clears throat> and a lot of people probably didn't look for it. But I, it would not surprise me, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but it would not surprise me if the starting receiver sets or, you know, Alabama's going to rotate guys and you know that they, and they have a lot of depth, I think a receiver now, but what helps that depth, I believe is that now 
they're able to run John Mechie, Slade Bolden. And then at that third receiver spot, I think you can run Jaleel Billingsley outside and use him a lot like Florida did Kyle Pitts. Now, Kyle Pitts is labeled as a tight end. That dude might have blocked like 30, 30 plays all season. I mean, it, it, you know, you saw him split out a lot, especially inside the 40-yard line. Um, and so I think you could see that a lot with Billingsley, and that helps take the pressure off of these young guys coming in. Your Ja'Cory Brooks, Ajayi Hall, JoJo Earl, Christian Leary, your four – stud freshman coming in it doesn't make them have to come in and contribute right away now of course if you have injuries we're talking about a whole different ball game there but I, I, I believe that you'll see a lot of Jaleel Billingsley split out into a receiver slot and try to create some mismatches and the reason another reason for that is because it's going to be hard to keep Cameron Latu off the field and you heard about this guy for a couple of years now that he's shown flashes in practice and then he heard a lot of buzz about him this spring and he definitely showed out at the a-day game he caught the 60-yard touchdown or whatever it was from Bryce and uh, of course you know he was uncovered but still made the catch and made a hell of a run he was running away from DeMarco Helms who's Alabama starting safety and uh, and so I think he's going to be a big factor in the offense and so in order to get I think they're going to try to get Billingsley and Latu on the field maybe you'll see some double tight end sets and a lot of seam routes, but I think you can also see Billingsley split out a lot like Florida use Kyle Pitts and, and have Latou in there more as a, a blocking slash receiving tight end. Uh, Latou, however you pronounce it, awesome. Uh, look, hey, Bill O'Brien, a former Patriots guy, let's get Latou and Billingsley on the field at the same time. How cool would that be? What do you think? I think that would be dope. Dope as hell. Yeah, and, and that's what I was just talking about is that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some tight sets, some double tight sets, maybe a motion to stack them up close to the line of scrimmage. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Billingsley was your outside receiver and you put you put Mechie on one side by himself, maybe force a safety over that side, and then you put Slade in a slot and – um and then Billingsley on the same side with Slade to try to work one-on-one because safety's got to pay attention to Slade here because he's got a, a linebacker or a, or a, you know, a, a third corner on him or maybe a safety. And then, you know, you've got Latu right there at the, uh, at the tight end position. Right. I, I, I think, I mean, this offense can get real freaky really fast. I would love to see like, like how the Patriots did with Gronk. Hell, move him to the outside receiver. Put him on a little 5'11", 6-foot DB and just tell him to stop him because he ain't going to do it. He ain't going to do it. So they have so many weapons. Bryce is going to have so many weapons to throw to. It's not even funny. I, I don't I don't see anybody slowing down his offense. You know, fully healthy, injury-free, it, I just don't see it happening. I don't see it happening. Yeah, there's uh, there's some there's some competition on the offensive line right now. Um, Damian George, uh, Brockermeyer, Latham, Tommy Brown. You know they're competing for um, probably the right tackle and left guard spots, I imagine. Um, so you got to get those two figured out. Hopefully, you can find two that really work and get you a really solid five. But um, Alabama returns sixty percent of their offensive line from the national championship game. Chris Owens in there at center. Um, 
And I, I was, I, see, I predicted after, you know, in February, pre-spring, I, I predicted that Owens would slide back to guard and Darian Dalcourt would come up as, a, as the new center. And that's just because the coaching staff and, you know, the uh, people on message boards, as Lester loves to call them, they, they've raved about even Ronnie Orr, the tighter insider, has raved about Darian Dalcourt and his progression and him pushing the starting centers every single day. We've heard that for two years now. And so I figured this would be the year that, you know, you could bring him up, start him at center, move Owens back to guard and really only have to fill one slot. But I guess that's not happening because Dalcourt's still running uh, the, at the backup center role right now. But, um, yeah, some competition on the offensive line, uh, receivers. Outside of Ajayi Hall, do you see anybody else contributing early? You know, Ja'Cory Brooks, and, you know, JoJo Earl's not on campus yet. Three out of four receivers enrolled early. Um, Christian Leary, Ja'Cory Brooks, and, and Hall. JoJo Earl has yet to make it on the campus. He'll be enrolling in the summer. Uh, do you expect any of those guys to contribute in a big way early on? Um. I can't remember the guy's name, mate. Not Hall. Another young guy. He may be a sophomore this year. Who's the guy? He made a couple good catches, maybe a couple out of bounds. Yeah, we well, got Javon Baker. You got Xavier Williams. There's Baker. Like, yeah, there's more competition yes. at the receiver yes. position. You know, a lot of people think that you lose a guy like Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle, and all of a sudden Alabama's got nobody to throw it to. Nick Saban's done a tremendous job of acquiring depth at that position. Now, of course, the skill level is not going to be there, which that's obvious, but John Mesh is pretty damn good himself. He almost caught for 1,000 yards last year as a third or fourth target. You know, you, I mean, you could argue that that Billingsley was a number, you know, whatever, whatever it was after Jalen went out. But, um, yeah, it, it's there, there's more depth than people think. This, the, the skill level is going to fall, but there's a lot of people that can play. I agree. I agree. You know, the focus always comes in on the, you know, who's the freshman that's going to step up, yada, yada, yada. Well, people don't realize that there's, you know, juniors and uh, sophomores, guys who didn't play last year. It's their time to step up right now. So I think I think Baker's the guy to look out for. Um, he was looking fast, looking freakishly athletic, made a couple of athletic catches where they were, you know, inbounds, out of bounds whatever, depending on who his quarterback was. So I think he's going to be that guy. He's going to be probably a burner, right? Baker's a burner, if I'm not mistaken. So Multiple, man. You got multiple. It's like last year, you know, before Waddle. Right. You can have Mechie on the go route. You saw that against Texas A&M. Waddle did it against Georgia, and Devonta did it against everybody else in the country after Waddle went down. He did it against whoever he, he played against. So I think there's going to be another another – season like that where you've got multiple guys that can do so many things well. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Cause I mean, as we've seen, depth is so important. You've got to have these guys, you've got to have multiple guys, whether they're playing or whether they're not, who are ready to come in, step up, and do their job when the time calls. Because you never know when your number can be called. You never know, especially in the SC schedule, you know, things happen at practice, freak injuries anything but hey with uh dr ray and blue i'm pretty confident with those guys keeping our guys healthy last time i tell you man this defense is elite it it is elite it is got top three in the country written all over it and pete golding you know we said it before last year 
He doesn't have any injuries. Dylan Moses was back. He had, you know, a star-studded secondary. You know, we just needed – nobody really knew a lot about what was going to happen on the D-line. Nobody knew Will Anderson and Chris Allen were going to explode like that. A lot of people were talking about competition at the two end positions, and they were were kind of shaking – or scratching their heads whenever Will Anderson and Malachi Moore started on that defense, both as true freshmen. But, damn, they're good. They are good. And Malachi Moore didn't participate in spring, still nursing an injury. But, uh, man, Alabama was uh, number one in in scoring defense in the SEC last year. Uh, Now, of course, you know, that point total was now in the 20s because it's 2021 and teams can score. It doesn't matter what kind of talent you have just with the creative offensive minds out there, they're, they're going to, teams are going to score. But uh, that's one thing that Alabama did a good job of last year. You know, you, you had the Ole Miss and Florida games where they kind of took off on you. But outside of those, I think the defense played really, they're, they're really solid this year. I expect them to take the next step. Uh, once again, barring any, you know, heaven forbid, there's no injuries over the summer and fall camp they're gonna, that impact the season. But with the personnel that Pete Golding's going to have, I know you lose Patrick Sertain and Dylan Moses, but I'm really not so sure that you don't upgrade in Dylan Moses' spot. He talked about his meniscus surgery that he had. He was playing with a partially torn meniscus um, after, like, the third game of the season or something like that last year. And uh, Jalen Moody is a terrific spread linebacker. He was a three-star out of South Carolina, I believe, and he's – a junior now he's developed he's been in the weight room and gosh he is fast he's got really good instincts he looks just like Christian Harris out there Christian Harris and, and uh, Will Anderson did not get to play in the spring game unless they're I honestly think that's because Nick Saban wanted to keep it fair <laughs> I mean I, yeah, obviously, man. Yeah, obviously I'm joking about that but man, I'm telling you Will Anderson has you know he's one of the best edge rushers in, in college football and you know, I'm not so sure he's not going to be at the Chase Young type level after next year. Not saying that he's going to go off for 20 plus sacks this year, but I'm saying that, you know, he's still got two more years at Alabama. And um, that kid, him and Chris Allen on the ends, Chris Allen, you know, huge decision to come back and, uh, and play his senior year. But, man, those two guys on the end, Alabama's got some competition at the interior D-line spot, but they got a lot of dudes. You got Byron Young, Darian Mathis, DJ Dale, Tim Smith. You got a lot of guys that can play there. And, um, you know, it's just like the offensive line. You've, you've got a lot of guys, so you've got a lot of competition at that spot. Your cornerback's more than likely going to be, you know, Job Allen over there with Josh Job, And then you're going to more than likely have Malachi Moore at the other corner. Um, Kool-Aid. You like you like Kool Aid? Yes, sir. Yeah, love that guy. You know, one thing I was going to talk about, <laughs> just like the receivers, is a lot of corner depth. Not so much with the safeties. I, I think uh, Christian Christian Story had a pretty good spring as a backup safety, but your safeties are Jordan Battle, Demarco Helms. Um, Helms is a senior, Battle's a junior, so both you could lose both of those guys if Battle has a big year. But, um, you know, your corner, you've got Josh Job, you've got Malachi Moore, you've got Brian Branch, who's probably going to start at that star position in the, uh, in the nickel defense, which is basically what all Alabama runs now. And, um, you know, you've got depth. You've got Jalen Armour Davis, who had a good spring. Kool-Aid, like you were talking about. Ronald Williams, who's a JUCO transfer. That's a junior again because he took advantage of the COVID year. So he's still got two years to play. 
there's a lot of corner depth, man. So uh, tell, tell me about Kool-Aid. You like Kool-Aid. What did you see out of him on Saturday? And what makes you so high on him? Except for the next, besides Love the Love that guy. Um, he just seems like a, a cool dude, like a cool character. Um, just a pretty cool dude, long, rangy, hella athletic. I mean, you got a guy who can play, you know, D1 basketball and football. That is a special athlete, regardless of, you know, who you are. And then the guy comes in, enrolled early, early enrolled freshman, makes plays, interceptions, and he, look, he's going to take, I'm going to say, a couple back to the house and before he leaves here at the Capstone. That dude has playmaking abilities all over him. He picked off Braxton Barker, so it's like, it's like intercepting, like, Chandler or Page. Hey, a pig is a pig. I'm, I'm think, high on the pig. I think Paige and, and Braxton Barker had the same throw in motion and the same arm talent. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, talking about Kool Aid, and I don't, I don't know what we were doing. Of course, it could be anything random. Me and my dad are always talking sports, but dad said something about Kool Aid, and he said, you know, out of all the guys in last year's class, and if you don't recall, Alabama just signed the best recruiting class numerically in, in history uh, as far as statistics go and rankings go they signed the highest class that's ever been signed and uh and, and he said that you know kool-aid was his was his biggest one the one that he wanted the most and and for those that don't know my dad follows recruiting like it's nobody's business i mean that guy is uh is all over it um i think he told me the other day we offered some kid that's about to be a freshman in high school or something like that. I'm like, how do you know that? But anyway, he's all over it. And uh, he said that he said that he wanted Kool-Aid more than, more than anybody else. And I asked him why. And he said, because he just, nobody, nobody knew what he was going to do. A lot of people said that, that he was an Auburn lean for a while because, uh, because Bruce Pearl was all over him about, about basketball. And, uh, and then, you know, it was LSU was in the mix for a while and nobody really knew what he was going to do. And uh, he ends up selecting Alabama and signing with them. And um, he got a little bit of an ass chewing on, on national TV on Saturday. But uh, I'm sure that's not the only one he's gotten since he's been on campus. But, yeah, man, Kool-Aid's a guy that has a lot of potential. He's already the second-string punt returner, I believe. I mean, it's, it's, it, from what I can tell, and let's, let, let me ask you your opinion on this real quick. Slade Bolden's going to be returning punts. And then if he can't do it, looks like Kool-Aid's number two. So uh, tell me what you think about Slade returning punts. Do you think he's – I mean, I believe he's sure-handed enough. Um, but would you rather have a guy that's going to – you know, I mean, we've been spoiled by, by Jalen Waddle for the last three years. And, well, I guess once Jalen went down, you just – you know, all you, all you did was put the Heisman Trophy winner back there returning punts. So we've been spoiled the last three years with punt returners. Um, are you going to be okay – with, with a guy like Slade, or do you want somebody that's maybe a little bit more dynamic back there returning punts and kicks? Buddy, I was watching the 8 game, and Slade Bolden uh, had a punt opportunity, and, and uh, he dropped the ball, and the dude looked up at the sun. Like, bro, how many games do you think you're going to play this year where it's going to be cloudy or shady outside? Like, you can't do that. What is going on? Based off that alone, because Slate, he's had some drops before now. I mean, it ain't like he's been, you know, sure, as sure-handed back there as people want to think. Look, give me Kool-Aid back there. Return the punts. 
Bro, I would have been I would have been okay with it. You know, nobody's perfect. A drop punt happens, but this dude stopped in the middle of the play and pointed at the sun like he's never seen it before. Like, dog, come on, what are you doing? No, <laughs> based off of that alone, you're not yeah, my yeah. punt returner. No, I'm not going to accept that. That's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah, that's know, all it takes. For me, I mean, I, I usually – normally I don't mind – I mean, dude, if you're a freshman returning kicks in the SEC, you got to be built different. I mean, and, of course, you know, Alabama's had those. Javier Arenas and Jalen Waddell um, were returning punts as freshmen. So if you're gonna, I mean, Alabama's got plenty of athletes coming in. that are going to be freshmen that, you know, return punts in high school. But I just, for some reason, with a true freshman back there, especially a guy that's not playing a lot, like you know, Jalen Waddle, he came in as a freshman. Um, he he was he was playing. I mean, he, this is a, a a big part of our offense when he was a freshman, and um, and, and so. He uh, he didn't try to make the big play every play. You get what I'm saying? And so what scares me is when you put a defensive guy back there or a receiver that's not in the rotation, really, a guy like, say, say JoJo or, or Christian Leary, um, guys who were electric, don't get me wrong. Um, but sometimes they might try to try to make a play that's not there. And sometimes you just got to catch the damn ball. You got to fair catch it. And just catching, just cut your losses. And you know, you, you you catch it, you get hit, you try to do too much, you fumble, you lose yardage, whatever. You know, it seems like that's more likely to happen when you have either a defensive player or a true freshman or both. If it's Kool Aid um, back there, and so if if it is going to be a true freshman, hopefully Nick Saban can tell them that hey, this is this is bigger than your stat sheet. I mean, you know, you got to do what's best for the team. If you can make a play, go make it. If not, be smart. Um, so that's that's my outlook on the on the point return situation. But uh, yeah, Lester, last question about the screen games in the state of Alabama. I guess we're gonna slide over to Auburn. Alabama ran around 130 plays in their spring game. Um, Auburn only ran around 80. What the hell's up with that? Have you heard anything about why Brian Harson kept it so close to the vest and? just kind of got in and out, so to speak, in their spring game? You know, a new system, a new coach, you think that you would want to, you know, show off, you know, what I can do, what my team can do. But to run 80 plays in a game where you can do whatever you want, if the clock hit quadruple zeros on the board in the fourth quarter and Parsons said he wanted to run some more plays, Auburn would have ran some more plays. It seems to me like they were trying to hide a deficient quarterback Maybe a quarterback who hasn't improved a whole lot. Maybe one who's not that good. Shitty maybe, you know, yeah. offensive line is garbage. Maybe they only have one decent running back. Um, Sean Shivers knocks people's helmets off. Right. Don't forget. I, I'm, I'm thinking that may be the case. Yeah, and, and thing is, I mean, <laughs> there's – there's so much film out there now. I mean, everybody knows of Brian Harson. He, he called his own plays at Boise State. Um, you know, they saw his offense there. Everybody's seen Mike Bobo's trash-ass offense for the last five or six years, whatever it's been. And uh, they're, they're not going to 
surprise anybody with anything. And this is something that we talked about. Auburn fans are so excited about a change in offensive philosophy, so to speak, that they're acting like Auburn's about to come out in an offense that's never been seen before. When in reality, it's just the same offense that 95% of other teams are running. It's just the spread. And it's not the power spread anymore where you've got an H back or, you know, some kind of weird motion or whatever it is uh, that they ran under Gus Malzahn. So it's not that big of a change, but they're freaking out. And, you know, Bo Nix, 12 out of 20, 60%. I guess that's an improvement. <laughs> uh, you know, Tank had a fumble, whatever. Then he had the long touchdown running. I mean, Tank's, Tank's a hell of a football player. And Auburn, you know, they're going to uh, – they're, I think they're going to run the ball well uh, against teams that aren't good up front, which ding, 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 it's the same thing that happened last year. Uh, the teams that, you know, were good up front, Alabama, Georgia, A&M, whatever, and Auburn had to throw the ball. Oh, shit. Oh, you can't throw the ball. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, Brian Harson Lester, was the biggest who the hell is this guy? type of hire and all of power five last year. Can we, can we, can we agree with that? <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah. Like, like when he was hired, what did you say? What did we say? Who the hell is that? Where's he from? This guy's from Boise state. Like, I mean, like everybody knew who Chris Peterson was because Chris Peterson was getting the freaking BCS bowls, man. You know what I'm saying? And then if, if you'd have told me last year, who was the coach of Boise state? Here's a thousand dollars if you get it right. I, I would not be a thousand dollars richer because I would not have been able to tell you. And and so yeah, and this guy gets hired. Who the hell is that? And so and he's got to know that this guy's from Idaho, never set foot in Auburn. I'm sure that you know he's talked to the big wigs up there, and they told him what's what's going down and what's going on. And so he's got to have some kind of idea. And so, yeah, like you were talking about, you would think that he would come out and showcase something, you know, just something. I mean, I, I don't know necessarily what it would be. I mean, but how many teams when they're prepping, Alabama's got to play Miami week one, right? September 4th. So do you think whenever Nick Saban is preparing for this game that he's going to pull out tape from Miami's freaking spring game? No. And no, he does. He, no. Might be, he might be looking at five plays, maybe. He's going to watch tape from last year. Or if they got a new offensive coordinator, where did that guy come from? What kind of personnel did he have? If he had similar personnel, I'm going to watch that. You see what I'm saying? Nobody's watching freaking spring game tape whenever you're trying to prep for a real game. So, you know, come out in something crazy. Come out in something funky. Get the fans into it. You know, give them something to talk about for the summer. Because this is the last – Tom, you're going to see Brian Harson and his team for a while. And, uh, you know, till, till fall practice, you'll see some video from some workout videos, but you won't see him, you know, have a scrimmage again until August. And so this is his shot to, and maybe, you know, may, maybe he doesn't give a shit. Maybe he doesn't care, you know, and if he doesn't, okay, whatever. But, you know, knowing Auburn fans and knowing what they want to see and knowing how sick they were of the Gus Mills on offense, you know, would have been nice to to give him something to talk about all summer, but they didn't. Right, you would think he'd want to try to create some excitement within the program, right? Right. I mean, yeah. a new coach, um, somebody who 
Auburn completely missed the boat on. I don't care what anybody says. Auburn, the word, the names coming out of that camp were, geez, they would have tried to hire Urban Meyer, who's with the Jaguars. I mean, just all the big names, all Lincoln Riley. Like you said, you get this guy from Boise State. And your fan base, yeah, your fan base has nothing to do with go along with it. Nobody has any decision-making power except for the boosters that be. And you don't do anything to try to create a little excitement in the offseason, a little excitement. I don't think there was not one Auburn fan who was like, man, they look good today or, you know, Bo got better or there's improvement here and, there was just no buzz, no groundswell coming from the Auburn fan base on Twitter or social media or, or nothing, not a single post on Facebook about I'm excited, Harson is going to do it. None of that. And I'd be worried if I was an Auburn fan because it's going to be more the same. It's actually going to be worse, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and he gets hired, and the first reaction is, like, we talking about who the hell is this? We don't, we don't need this guy. I'd rather have a, I'd rather have Kevin Steele, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, as he does his press conferences, and he's – I'll give him this. He has a, a pretty good aura about him. I mean, he's serious in what he does. He he seems like he brings a hard work ethic and everything. Of course, the fact of the matter is, if you don't get players in there, it don't make a damn because there ain't never been a coach to win a championship that didn't have good players. And, uh, and, and so when you've, you know – as he's gone throughout his media appearances or whatever, he's grown on Auburn fans. He really has. And then there's, a, there's the majority. I don't really know of any Auburn fans or, I mean, maybe a couple like Brett Baker, maybe Collier McConnell out there. Her, I guess you could say more realistic. They're still, you know, we're looking at six and six this year, seven and five, but we'll see how he recruits. Um, of course, the guy's got no relationships in the area. And, uh, and so that's going to be tough, but um. You know, it's he's grown on a lot of Auburn fans, and so this was a chance to seal the deal. You know, I can come out and wow these fans, and um, and really, you know, put the program, put a positive note, put a positive stamp on the program heading into the summer. We'll call it like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, he he uh, he didn't do it, and um, and we'll see what happens. I think Auburn's got six and six or seven and five written all over him, but. You know, time will tell. We'll see. We'll see what happens injury wise and progression wise with Bo Nix throughout the summer and, and fall camp. But uh, Lester, wrap, wrapping up with basketball real quick. Josh Primo announces he's going to test the waters in the NBA draft. He's not going to sign with an agent, so he has the option to come back to Alabama. Tell me what you think about this. Do you think you know Shaq's already in the? Uh, he's already he's already testing him out. Of course, we don't think Shaq has a shot in hell playing in the NBA right now. He's got a lot of development to do. He probably will stay two more years. Um, if you ask me, but uh, Josh Primo has a little bit more upside. He, he was a five-star prospect coming out of Canada and uh, he comes to Alabama. He only averaged about eight points a game. He went through a span. We talked about it. We talked about what was going on about, you know, like he, like Lester loves to say, where the hell is Josh Primo? And, uh, and then, you know, he, he gets hurt towards the end of the year, then comes back, plays pretty well in the last couple of games. So, Tell me what you think about Josh Primo. What are his chances of staying in the draft and what are his chances of, of coming back to Alabama? Zero percent chance he stays in the draft. Um I'm a <laughs> big right. fan. I'm All a right. yeah, yeah, because yeah, 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 yeah. Zero, yeah, You're he's right. coming back. He's coming back. Um, I'm a big fan of the guys declaring 
and not hire an agent. Oh, Go. Yeah, I, think, I think football if should you, do it. If you're not – yeah, yeah, all of them should do it because hopefully that motivates them to make them better. You know what I mean? Whatever yeah. – however they are alerted by what they need to get better, an email, a, a printout pack or whatever, I hope Nate Oates gets that too so he can be like, look, dude, like, if you're not going to listen to me, which I'm sure Primo's very coachable or whatever, yeah, 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 like, yeah. this is what you got to do to get better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, do this. You want to make more like, than not, you know? Right. Because O's don't give a shit. He don't care. You can get out. He don't care. It don't matter. He'll kick you and out. And I love I love that about him. So, you know, hey, good for him. Go get your grade or whatever. Let some professional guys tell you what you need to get better at, what you need to work on. And incorporate that within our system to better help yourself and Alabama. Yeah. Alabama first, whatever you can to help the team. Yeah, and that's true. And, and like I said, I wish football would adapt this. Whenever your third year is up, if you want to go test the waters, you can. And, uh, and you know, instead of giving you a, a, a draft, a round grade, like, you know, you're projected going the third round, you're projected sixth round, you're projected second round. They actually, you know, like like the NBA does, they tell you, you know, you need to work heavily on ball handling. You need to work on your court vision, your leadership skills, uh, your passing ability, your outside shot, you know, finishing ability. They give you a detail, a more detailed list um, because they put you through workouts and all this stuff. And um, and they're a lot more detailed with you. Meanwhile, in football, they're like, yeah, we project you to go in the third round. I mean, it's basically like a mock draft. You know what I'm saying? Which you're never correct. Um, right. And so, right. And so, yeah, I wish they would do something like this in football. You know, somebody like Mac Wilson, who, who, you know, Ronnie Harrison, who ends up going in the third round. And I think Matt went in like the sixth round. Uh, maybe if they had gotten more feedback um, from NFL scouts telling them, hey, this is what you need to focus on. If you do this and you improve here, then that grade goes from a six to a two. You, you see what I'm saying? And so instead of just saying, you know, we project you in the fifth round because then it's a player. You're like, okay, well, I, I don't see that. I'm still going to put my name in the draft. I'm going to sign with it or I'm going to sign with an agent or whatever, whatever it is. I'm still going to declare. And then they go in the fifth or sixth round and a lot of them flame out. Of course, you know, a couple of them do make it to that second contract and get paid, um, which it actually looks like Mac and Ronnie Harrison will do. <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, you know, there, there's a lot that flame out because they leave early. Yeah, I wouldn't I, – I agree with that. I wish the NFL would do the same. Um, guys that get drafted like Mac or Ronnie, you know, okay, if they want to make less money, fine, fine with me. But I think it has increased every year of guys, juniors who leave early, and they don't get drafted. That's what I have an issue with. That's what I have – your junior, you don't get drafted. Surely you know you're not going to get – you know, a first, second, third round grade, you know, whatever. Maybe maybe they're mad at the coach. Maybe they hate the team. Maybe they can't transfer. Whatever the issue is, but those guys need to be able to declare, talk to somebody. Then, you know, if they don't hear what they – if they hear what they don't want to hear or if they hear what they do want to hear, they can make a better informed decision because, you know, you got 240, 50, 60, 70 – Draft picks, there's no way that there should be another 250 yeah. people, juniors, Mm-mm. undrafted. Now that's 
250 more kids who aren't going to go back to school, who are going to try to make their way onto some dumbass practice squad or the Canadian League or the whatever Johnny Manziel was playing in last year. Like, no, get your grade, finish school, graduate. Then from that point on, do what you want. There's, there's, you know, if you want to make an important decision after him back from the NFL about how you are, that, that's your decision at that point. But yeah. I feel like some of these decisions are just so unguided, and that's what I don't like. Yeah, you definitely got options. Um, but, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head with all that right there. Um, heading back to the hardwood, you know, as far as the draft process goes, I, I'm, I'm actually a little, a little surprised that Q hasn't already come out and said that he's testing the waters. Um, I'm guessing you're, you expect him to go, right? Just, just test. I'm not saying go, just go pro and sign with an agent. But you expect him to test, right? I don't know, man. Maybe that dude loves Alabama, bro. What? Maybe he ain't worried about it. I'm, I'm, I'm dead he's serious. Maybe he loves hell. Alabama. He's cocky as hell. He's showing. He is. He's, got, he's, he trying is. To, he's trying to create a brand, the Jelly Fam brand for himself. I mean, he's coming up with his own nicknames, all this stuff. I mean. That dude, but anyway, I, I expect him to test. I don't expect him to go. But, you know, same question we asked, I think it was Evan, last week. Um, Alabama still got to find a scholarship somewhere. Do you think that maybe Oates – is it possible? Is it possible that Oates tells – like, just say Q, Shaq, and Primo test the waters. Do you, do you think that he, that he tells one of them to stay in and sign with an agent? And if so, and no if so idea. who would it be? Would it be Primo? Does he? Have, I guess he has the most upside. Eh. Q. Yeah. Q. I mean, six six man with his leaping ability. Everybody saw the put back. Right. I guess against Maryland or whatever. But dude, and he's got a quick release. He's got a good shot. He's proven he can hit it. And uh, I just think he went to a, a slump last year in, in the middle of the season, but. I think he's a real good player. I think he has, you know, more upside than – let me say this. I think he has more pro ability than anybody on last year's roster. That includes John Petty. Just because of the way the way he can handle it. He's not the best ball handler. But, you know, hell of a lot better than Petty or Herb. And, uh, you know, quick release on a shot. He's got good form, got good touch, good free throw shooter, good defender. 6'6", long. I think he's got more – I think he had more NBA – potential than anybody on last year's roster. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, especially nowadays, I mean, pretty much a prototypical slasher. 6'6", six, six, you know, can jump out of the gym, can dunk, run, shoot. Basically everything that anybody's looking for. But, you know, as far as Q goes, is that guy going to guard Kyrie Irving? I mean, God. is he, he going to stay in front of John Wall? <laughs> Not many people do, though. <laughs> yeah, not many people do, but I'm just saying that's All what he will be going against. Yeah. But, right. Uh, so yeah, Q, Q being six one, you know, I think that might be a reach. But uh I think he's I mean, he's he's exciting. He's got he's got the ball handling ability as long as you just doesn't turn the ball over. But um I mean, you know, maybe. But the thing is those smaller guards, like you were just talking about the Kyries and Kimber Walker, Chris Paul, for you to play in the NBA at six foot, six one, six two, uh, you, you gotta have something special. Um, you either got to have great floor command. Uh, you got to have a high IQ. That's a must. I don't know if Q has that um, because there's only one position you can play. I mean, you know, Primo, 
you can teach him to play the point, a point forward if you want to. He can be a shooting guard or whatever with his size. That 6'5", the 6'8 range, you can play multiple positions whenever you're slender like that and you can move um, and elevate. But when you're 6'1", you got one position. That's it. So if you can't run a team, the NBA is not going to look at you. So I think Q's got to – I think that's where he can improve if he comes back. But also, like I said before, um, I think Q's draft stock is at its highest right now. And so I'm very surprised. I see, I thought he'd go pro already. And I thought that as a coach, Oates, Oates would sit him down and be like, look, man, like, I appreciate, just like Nick Saban has to do, he has to tell these juniors to go pro. You know, he said, this is your grade. We appreciate what you've done. Your stock is at its highest now. You need to go, Right. So I was thinking that Oates would sit Q down and be like, look, man, I've got J.D. Davidson coming in. This is before I knew we were going to get Namari Burnett, but there's a chance you could, we could bring in another combo guard uh, at around 6'2", 6'3", that, you know, his primary position may be the point. And so your minutes might go down next year. Even though you came off the bench, the way you finished the season, you were the MVP of the SEC tournament, I think Q's draft stock right now is at its highest. And I, I don't think it would go up if he came back. I think it would go down because I just don't think you're going to keep J.D. Davidson off the floor. I just think he's too damn good. And if Burnett develops a little bit, he, you know, he only averaged five, five points a game last year and, and 17 minutes a game. So if Q gets into a three-man rotation and Burnett is hot or if he's playing well or if he's just a good player and Oates develops him, then you got a three-man rotation right there, point guard. Then all of a sudden, Q's only getting like 16, 17 minutes a game. You, I mean, you cannot put up stats unless you just shoot the ball every single time. And that, and that, and when you're on the floor for that that small amount of time, it's very hard to put up big numbers, eye-popping numbers to the NBA. Like I said before, Alabama's not a blue blood in basketball, so you got to do something extraordinary to to catch the eye of NBA scouts, just like Kyra Lewis did. Of course, he played 39 minutes a game, but he put up great numbers. So the NBA was like, hey, look at this guy. And then they start watching film on him. You know, they all know the guys from Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky. They know those guys already. But, uh, you know, they don't know a lot of people from Alabama. And, and I mean, unless you're like J.D. Davidson, you're a top five player in the country coming out of high school. But I think Q's stock right now is at its highest, and I'd be shocked if he doesn't test the waters. You know, if he is, I just wonder why he hasn't said it yet. But you know, going back to yeah, your point, you know, I, I, I don't. He might have. I don't know if they. If you're listening to this and he has, let me know. I might have just looked at it and forgot about it because I expected it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Shaq stuck with me. I don't think he has. Yeah, I don't recall seeing it, but he might have. If he has, then take back what I said. But yeah, I just, I just, I just, uh, you know, they don't know about Alabama. Now they will. Um, just saw the where Bama's projected as a one seed next year. I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on this program. There's going to be a lot of eyes, you know, on guys looking to go in the draft, make themselves a lot of money. So it's coming. It's coming. Oates is doing some really cool things. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it progresses. But me and you both fully expect Shackelford to come back. Q, or not Q, but Primo, let's say there's a, I'll say 85, 85% chance he comes back because 
like I said, with his build, he's, he's got an NBA – you look at that guy, he's got an NBA body. You hear that term a lot. And, uh, you know, that guard, that quick, athletic guard at 6'6", I mean, hella athletic, like we, we were just talking about. So, NBA scouts might fall in love with him. He's got, he's got a quick release. If he has some good workouts, you never know. If he has some good interviews, you never know. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're glad they're all testing the waters. Um, but I expect Primo, 85% sure he'll come back, but you never know. Um, Lester, any final thoughts, man? We're, we're going we're gonna to cut, th- cut out of here and uh, might talk a little bit of baseball. Might talk baseball once every three weeks throughout the summer or whatever. Uh, so we might have Bill back on here. I might try to get BB, something like that. But uh, any, anything else before we log off? I know the Braves beat the Yankees tonight. So yeah, yeah, race, race to the Yankees, but nothing else for me. That's it for me tonight. All right, man. Uh, episode 33, Gunpowder's Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell. We're out of here. See y'all next week.